0: Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh.
1: I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures.
2: Role-playing inspiration can come from anywhere, and we use our side quest to explore TV shows, movies, books, and other RPGs that influence our playstyle and storytelling. Whether we draw from intriguing plot points, amazing characters, or, well, you know, just kind of geek out about it, it should be a fun trip and we're glad you came along for the ride. Here, and this is Tabletop Journeys. I will be your storyteller and uh, host for today. Arnold, um, yeah, you're not the host for Tabletop Journeys. This is just a commercial for our show. Fun Time with Mr. Dave? Oh, yes, silly me. Of course it is. Uh, that's all right. Just tell the folks that they can watch Fun Time with Mr. Dave every week on YouTube. Just search Mr. Dave with an exclamation mark. And you can tell them that they can also find us on Facebook if they go to facebook.com/slash dave the entertainer. Oh yes, and I'll tell them that they can also find us on Instagram at instagram.com/slash dave the entertainer. Yeah, that's a good idea. Tell them that. Um, I think we already did. Oh, yeah, you're probably right. Oh well. See, See you all next, next time. time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Woo-hoo!
1: Hashtag. Side
0: Quest! Welcome, everybody, to today's side quest. I feel like I say this every single time that we record an episode, but we are just an excitable bunch. Uh, And especially when we are talking about a brand new intellectual property that has just finished. Today, we are going to be talking about what might be season one, but what might be the only nine episodes of WandaVision. Uh, So today is Saturday it is literally the day after episode 9 uh, came out and sh- uh, was shown on Disney+. And so today, we're going to be talking about the season as a whole. We already did our introduction of Division after Episode 1, uh, and there were certainly some thoughts that uh, that I had uh, and that we all had about what the heck was going on by the end of Episode 9. Uh, those questions were not only answered in spades, but that the season had some, some really nice, nice flow to it. The way we're going to do this today is we're going to break up the season basically into three chunks uh to go ahead and help us talk about it with a, with a little bit more flow. I kind of feel like there's the introductory uh section of Wandavision where really what they were establishing was the world as a whole uh and and in a very off-kilter sort of uh uh what is going on sort of way. And then there's kind of the the exposition part of the of the uh the season where we really get a feeling for uh just how things are working in Wandavision world and and kind of what is going on and then uh, the conclusion to this season, the last three episodes in particular, were really something special. So let's uh, let's start with our resident comic book expert extraordinaire, Liwanika, tell us, let's start with you. What, what, are, what were your thoughts on WandaVision? And uh, let's dive into the conversation here.
1: WandaVision was amazing. Just straight up, it was an amazing show. I thought the acting was incredible. I thought the plot was exceptionally well done and beautifully translated from the page to the screen. That's a hard thing to do. And I don't think there's nearly enough conversation about when it's done right, how well that is done. There's a number of comic book properties that have been put on screen that are awesome, but they're completely different than the original comic book. There's a number of comic book scenes that are true to the comic books, but are terrible on film. Uh, And then there's a number of things, every spot in between. This is one of those rare properties that was translating the page as accurately as you could for a story that was originally written in the late 70s, early 80s to today in 2020 and when it was filmed to be aired in 2021. So what a fantastic update to that story and inclusive of all the changes that the MCU is versus the Marvel Comics universe of the time of the original
0: story. So well done absolutely love it absolutely love it if we can actually I want to, I want to drill into that point just a little bit before we kind of break get into the flow of the episode um I'm gonna put on my resident non-comic book guy hat can you can you give us a couple of uh your favorite diversions from the comic book story in the new show uh and some of the things that um that they kept the same uh and that they that absolutely made sense to you one of my absolute
1: favorite. Parts of this show that uh, remained from the original comic is the relationship between Wanda and Vision. Just the nature of that relationship is exactly as I recall it. There's probably people smarter in the universe than I that will say, oh, it was different on page 14 than you're seeing here. But it translated that beautifully. When we talk about the final episode and some of the things that happened when uh, we saw that all-white version of the vision, which was the physical body versus the uh, memory of vision that Wanda had created. Uh, when we talk about that that, that difference, that really calls to mind the episodes in West Coast Avengers, which really ended uh, this story. This story in the comic book started with WandaVision, uh, a miniseries that was four issues long. It continued in, actually it was Vision and Scarlet Witch, then Vision and Scarlet Witch 2, which was a second four-issue miniseries a few years later or a year or two later, and then concluded in episodes. I can't remember where it started, but it concluded right around episode 45 or so of West Coast Avengers. And it concluded with an all white vision and uh, Wanda's created world and created paradigm, her children and all of that doing all the same things we saw on this show. So that the essential elements of this plot are directly from that comic book uh, arc. Uh, And that was amazingly well translated yet updated for 35, 40 years later. you can't get better than that, than that kind of an update. That was my favorite thing that stayed the same. That relationship and that core story, of the things that differed and varied, that I really loved. The inclusion of sword, Agatha Harkness, start to finish, all kinds of different than Agatha Harkness in the comic books. Like there's nothing about this character other than her name and the fact that she had a cat or a, a pet animal that remained uh, the same. Oh, and she was a witch. That's it. Beyond those three things, nothing about Agatha Harkness was from the comic books. So they wholesale said, we're going to take a name you're familiar with, and we're going to do this completely different to build our new story. That was awesome. I think it actually made more sense than what they did in the comic book, and it didn't get into some things that I don't think we're going to see right away unless they do something really cool with... Doctor Strange too.
0: So i th- I think the question about what happens now with Agatha Harkness it's it's a big question about what what's next for her and kind of what state was she left in at the end there. So Glenn, let's let's bring you into the conversation here. So what was one of the moments from this season that stood out to you um, about really kind of encapsulating the Wanda and
2: Vision story? So you see, and there is where you are going to find the weirdness of a part time comic book guy. Being a part-time comic book guy, I only have knowledge on the titles that I read. And I never read Wanda. Got it. So I don't have... I did. I went into this like you, not having any idea what was going on. What I did get um, was I got the added benefit of coming in a little bit late because you two had both seen it already. I came in after episode four had been released. Uh, so everybody had been saying, you know, you've got to give it at least the first three episodes. You've got to make it to episode four. Um, and maybe that helped me out Because I went in expecting it to be confusing a little bit and, you know, not give me a whole lot of information. And I enjoyed it. Like maybe because of that slowdown y'all gave me, I really enjoyed the first three episodes. I wasn't in that. This is weird boat. Um, I was really digging the mystery. Uh, and the the subtle changes that were going on. And I was really, really, you know, loving the strange clues you would get, like when the speaker talked and in the voice of somebody from the outside, which you didn't know at the time. So that's what I really got for being in the middle of the two of you was listening to you talk about it first, and then having the opportunity to go into it eyes wide open and really enjoy the setup of the way they did the beginning of the show.
0: Okay, well then let's go ahead and and dive right in then and start talking about how the show began and start specifically about those first three episodes because until the end of the third episode, we don't get any idea that anything is wrong per se, right? Like everything is weird and we can tell that they're living through this sort of progression of sitcoms, but at least for me not being a comic book guy i we don't know why all that we know is that these things are happen happening and so i mean it could have been in my mind at the time it's like okay well this is just a um this is just kind of the aesthetic of the show and really until the the very end of uh episode 2 when the beekeeper shows up and wanda basically nopes that entire scene and rewinds it we don't get the feeling that anything is wrong and then at the end of season three, when Wanda forces Geraldine out of the hex, that is really the first time that we see that there is an outside world, that they are concerned about what is going on, that Geraldine was a plant, that she had gone in to go ahead and, and fix the problem. It opened up that entire can of worms. Um, and so I thought that, you know, like you, those first three episodes um, I enjoyed them, but I am not sure that they captured my attention. Found myself asking this question a lot lately. If I were not doing this podcast and taking time to talk about these properties and to talk about these shows and and you know, would I watch this show uh if I wasn't if I didn't have to talk about it and not sound like a total moron on the other side, right? By the end of episode three, I was in. But was I in until that point?
2: Wait a minute. What's ahead? You you think because you watched these shows you don't sound like a moron? Mm, that's fair. That's
0: fair. I probably still do sound like a moron. So so let's dive let's dive into that a little bit. So Glenn, I think you and I were kind of on the same token in those first three episodes where it's like by the end of episode three we were drawn in, but those first three episodes were a little bit difficult. Um, Lou and Nico, what about you? How did you feel about kind of those first three episodes? A couple thoughts. First of all.
1: Glenn, you you mentioned this in one way, and then Josh, you kind of explained it in a different way, and I think it's very interesting. This podcast gave us a reason to watch something that may not have been the easiest to watch so we could get to a point of excellence. So kudos to this team for creating the the avenue for us to have something that was so good and so enlightening and enriching and fun and enjoyable and entertaining in our lives because shy of this, at least two of the three of us would probably have not have sat through and watched this whole show. And you would have dealt with 20 years of me telling you, for God's sake, man, just watch the show. It's watch not good.
0: It's, uh, nine, it's, huh. not, it's nine episodes. Take the three yeah. hours out of your life and watch the show. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And,
1: and so to be fair, I think that's an amazing thing about this podcast, podcasts in general. If you're listening to people you trust and whose opinions you like, uh, it, sometimes it's worth taking the time. I have several friends who sat and uh, who, in addition to the two of you, who are on all parts of that, uh, uh, of that, that line, right. Where I've got some that are big comic book guys who know the story through and through kudos to Jason, you know, you know what I'm saying? We're going to talk about this when we're done recording at some point, we already have that scheduled. Uh, my, uh, my friend, I have other friends who were lambasting the first three episodes about how bad it was, but because they have other family members who were watching it or whatever They forced themselves to watch it. Yet when I was looking at Facebook this, this morning and there was a post from that person's wife about the season finale, his comment was, I absolutely loved it. And he was hating this show in the first three episodes. I considered it a personal mission as an emissary of comic books to keep telling people how great this show was getting and how, where where it was going to end. That said, It was a tough sell. Thank God they did the first two episodes in one sitting. There's no way I would have kept anybody on board if I had to go three weeks to get to that episode. And I recognize that. I don't want them to change anything about it. I think it would have made the show worse if they had. It's just the nature of that beast. But me personally, as a comic book guy, I knew exactly where we were going with the story. And there were twists for me but the story did get to where i where i
0: where i knew it would end right interesting cuz that, that's something that i want to talk about too when we get to that part is is what you feel about the ending so let's let's carry on it got to where i knew we would end but there
1: were many twists all the twists for me happened in the third act of this of the season yep. all of them happened in the third act and there is one element that, that i didn't talk about earlier that was very divergent from the comic book and that was the tv show aspect because Wanda being from where she was from and all that was not really part of the comic books at the time. So that was really an, a non-issue. So them having all the different sitcom bits, the Dick Van Dyke era, the Brady Bunch era, Bewitched, uh, was something that was very new and unique to this show. Okay. But I absolutely love them. I'm a, a fan of sitcoms. I wa- I grew up uh, as a young kid, not having a television in my home, but I would go to other people's houses and I could watch reruns. And it was, those were the shows that I watched in reruns. When I first got a television, we had a sh- channel that played all those old shows and I watched those. I'm a child of, uh, of an immigrant and of, and a visitor to this country. So one of the things my mom used to say when I was young was, you're, you're an American now, you were born here. You need to learn how to be American. And the way she did that was exactly what they were showing. She had me watch Old sitcoms. Oh, interesting. So I was raised on, even though I didn't have a television in my own house, I was raised on old sitcoms. Ozzie and Harriet, Leave it to Beaver, Dick Van Dyke, Bewitched, I Love Lucy. That was all that I kind of grew up on. I watched those shows before I watched Saturday morning cartoons. And I thought that spoke to me in a very deep and personal way. And
2: further than that, for me, really, I mean, that was one of the things that I really connected with Wanda the most about when I started to figure it out, Um, which maybe it was because of y'all's warnings um, was before the, the fourth episode. But specifically, those TV shows, those TV families, those happy people, that's all Wanda knew in terms of what a happy family should look like, you know, and that's where, I, that's what I really felt the most about it. You know, she, she grew up without her parents. They were killed when she was very young, you know, and then, and she'd been through a lot. So all she really had to say, I really wanted this family with vision and my grief was her vision of what a happy family should look like. So like the whole, and that was, that was the most powerful piece of, of how the, how they chose to set it to me was really understanding that in her grief, as she just like, freaked out and created this world but it takes a while to learn that that's what's going on but you know it's clearly created and and something's making her trapped in there but that it was just her trying to hold on to that happy family possibility and deal with her grief yeah that made the show so powerful to me
1: and i follow you on that glenn i mean look i grew up with these types of shows and uh i met you john uh at a call center uh in maine and Even though we didn't have a dress code, per se, for the first, what, five, six years I worked there, what did I wear every single day to work? I wore a shirt and tie. And what did I carry with me for the longest time? I made my American dream when I got a hard, old-style briefcase so I could bring to work. I didn't have anything to put in the briefcase. I, I packed my lunch. I had Mountain Dews in there. The fact is, is that I get that. Like, to me, I had an idea of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a family person. And I knew that meant going to work nine to five with a suit and a tie, coming home with a briefcase and settling in at the end of the day to a, a home cooked meal. I'm not so. To- I'm not so old school that I expect it to be cooked for me. I would actually do a lot of cooking. But the fact remains is that's what I considered being a happy family to be for the very longest amount of my time, and I lived my life towards that goal. So I connected with Wanda in this story on so many levels, mm-hmm. and the one that you mentioned, Glenn, was really right close to the top.
0: I am. I'm gonna. Quibble, with one minor thing that you said in there, Lee, I don't think that she creates the Hex as a attempt to heal. I don't think she's healing. I think that no. she is... One of the things that I wrote down here was the parallelism between what happens in WandaVision and what happened in Star Trek Discovery, when at the end we realized that the... The whole reason why they are in the situation that they're in is because of a in Discovery it was because a a a boy lost his mother, uh, and was going through that grieving process. Um, and in Wandavision, it's because a a person lost lost their partner. There, you know, and and was was so beset with grief that all they could do is create a world where where everything was fine and nothing was broken.
2: Broken is the right word.
0: It's not what happens when you're healing. Yeah, healing's not the right word. She you know,
2: she was she was broken.
0: She was broken and so she was trying to create a world that wasn't broken.
2: She was a woman who had lo- had experienced nothing but loss her whole life. Exactly.
0: And just couldn't take it anymore. That yeah. was
2: it. That's all she could do. She watched him die twice in front of her. She had to kill him once. And one of the times she had to do it herself. Yeah, she had, was broke. She had yeah. a straight-up nervous breakdown, wackadoo men in white coats moment. Yeah. and she happens to have superpowers. So when when she took that moment of strength
0: and she had to kill Vision in Endgame, only to have, or not in Endgame, in in, in the Infinity War, only to have Thanos rewind it because he needed something, and then. I can't even, I mean, obviously we can't imagine because we're dealing with an exceptionally supernatural storyline, but wow, not not only did she have to kill Vision once, but then that issue was made was made inconsequential.
1: And, to, uh, and here's my equivalent, Josh, um, with you, is that it wasn't made inconsequential because she still dealt with that grief or had to deal with that grief. Oh, her killing Vision was absolutely inconsequential because Thanos rewound time. No, the result was inconsequential, but the actual act was very consequential because that right. added to what she then had to, she then had to witness ah. It's the combination of those two things that added to and equaled what we got in the show.
2: Yep. And I would okay. agree with you. Well, plus the fact that she had to do it when it didn't matter, like it was all for naught. that yeah. she felt it was inconsequential. Like, Oh my dear God, I just did that. And it didn't even, I, I yeah. endured that. I made myself do it and it didn't even save the world.
1: What I look forehead. at when I when I see this show is not that she was healing, was that this was a specific stage in the five steps of grief and she was stuck in it for nine episodes. Yeah, it was denial. She was in denial. She was in denial for nine episodes, and we actually got to watch I mean. In a fantastical, superficial, entertaining way, we got to watch the stages of grief in a mini dissertation on uh, what that could look like if someone were to have fantastic superpowers. No,
2: the show was powerfully sad.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll get to the third act, and I, I have a lot of very specific feelings on that. And there's some talk that we had the three of us before we started recording that will make what I say then. Uh, Very poignant. But uh, to kind of wrap up uh, this first act, I can say it was a struggle for newcomers to the genre or newcomers to this specific story. You could be great with comic books, but if you weren't familiar with this story or these characters, it would have been hard. It's hard. And I recognize
0: that for those that stuck through. Awesome. For those who haven't yet, get on it. Yep, Get on it. We should probably go ahead and say that, like at this point, for sure, there are going to be spoilers in this episode. I'll make sure and put this at the beginning to go ahead and let everybody know. But this is not a spoiler-free review. If you have not seen Wandavision all the way through to the end, you should pause your your playback of the podcast, go finish watching Wandavision, and then pick up right here where you left off. So let's move on to the second uh, to the second three episodes. Um, and this is where I, I I called it the exposition of the season. This is really when Things start to move. We start to see vision. Start to realize that things are not as they seem. We see the introduction of Pietro and several other. You know, obviously the the birth of the twins. Well, the birth of the twins was technically in the first third, but the development of the twins as characters. Uh, in the second half, we see more about what is going on with Sword outside the hex. We start to we start to see all of that start to form and and really kind of develop that something is really really amiss. This this is not just um, it's not just affecting Wanda. This isn't just like a hallucination. This isn't just um, like a mind play on her part. This is actually affecting real people in a in a profound way, and that. Much to her chagrin, while she is trying to make this perfect, uh, uh grief induced vision come true, there there are cracks in the armor and there are things that are that she can't control, uh, that she's not able to extend herself enough to take full
2: control of. And that's kind of why I say the show was so abysmally sad. And uh, we did say, spoiler alert, um, any of you out there going in trying to look at this being Wanda the hero. That's not the case. Wanda is the villain of this show. Agatha is as well, and she overshadows her in evil intent. But Wanda has effectively kidnapped and mind-controlled and taken over a small town of free-thinking people and made them her slaves. She's definitely
0: the the villain of the first half. Um, I think that in a very Joseph Campbell hero's journey kind of way, she develops into... In, she develops the correct way to become maybe maybe not heroic, but she at least is no longer the villain by the end of the ep- uh, By the end of the season,
2: she's redeeming herself. She also realizes her own villainy and is horribly, horribly guilt racked.
1: I'm going to differ on that, but I'm going to say it save wasn't that deliberate. Di- I, it wasn't deliberate, but I'm going to differ slightly. But I'm going to save that for the third act because okay. there's a big reveal that if you're not a comic book person, you may not have caught. Yep. Okay. Um, so I will save that for the end so I don't spoil it in this section. For the second act, I will say this. I was terribly excited because this is the act where they connect this show to the greater cinematic universe. One of the saddest things about the Netflix shows, which I love and are near and dear to my heart, is they didn't connect to the cinematic universe that we were promised. Aside from a few throwaway lines in the first Daredevil film and the first Jessica Jones season, and it was one episode in each of those we have not connected to the Marvel Universe. After uh, the great connection in season one, by the time season two came around, because of internal co- um, company issues at Disney and shakeups at Marvel, they made it very clear that the TV property, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., was no longer connected to the cinematic universe. And that's why we stopped seeing Lady each season after season two uh, of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. So they divorced that and made it its own separate thing. So I was saddened by that because I like I love S.H.I.E.L.D. as, as a yep. group in the comic books. I loved the show overall. I love, but that was because of the characters, yep. not because of how close they were to the comic books. Right,
0: And it was strongest when it had that synergy with the graver, with the greater MCU.
2: Absolutely. It was.
0: Yeah. The first two seasons were the best two seasons because of that synergy, because at
1: any moment we we're like, oh, we're going to meet somebody from this ep- from this movie or we're going to do this from that movie.
0: Yep. We're going to meet someone from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in a movie, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And they stopped that and I
1: was done. Right. Just done uh, with, with I, I love the show because of Clark Gregg is amazing um, yep. and all the characters in that show. But that's a different podcast for a different time. But as far as this goes, this was the act that connected the show with the movies and now that disney and marvel have fixed all their internal stuff and that they are one movie house for both television screen and movie screen it's one production company now And because they're one production company, that will bring us back to a point of synergy. That's why the movies flowed into this show and this show's flowing back into the movies. We get to see that with Jimmy Woo. We get to see that with Darcy, the stuff about S.W.O.R.D., which came out of the Captain Marvel stuff and Monica Rambeau. She was great. Again, if you're a non-comic book person, you may not have understood who she was or where she was, but I knew who she was the second her first appearance was on screen. I knew who she was. I knew what that was about. I was wondering when they were going to get her out of the hex so we could get there. And that weird combination between the things that happened to her character as a child and Captain Marvel And what happened to her with Wanda is what is giving her powers and she will become a superhero, which in the comic books had a terrible costume, but was a great character and and an amazing Avenger. Right. Uh, So in this case, we have a much more updated costume, which is very reminiscent of the comic book uh, costume. And I am so excited to see this character. I actually like Monica Rambeau as Captain Marvel better than Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel, cool. and I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays off each other. Whether they'll give her the same name or they'll go with
0: her second name, I don't know how Marvel is going to do it. But I'm I'm in. Um, well, you were talking earlier, Glenn, about how um, how there's this this current of of uh, of sadness that kind of runs through all nine episodes. And man, I think that watching Vision go around. West for going around Westville. At the end of the Halloween episode in particular, when he starts realizing that, again, when he starts realizing basically that that Wanda must be behind this because you've got these people that are, that, that they're basically just automatons at this point. Um, and, and he realizes that uh, because of his connection to the, <clears throat> the Mind Stone that he can reverse Wanda's magic. And, and he starts to put this together that, and he starts to realize that Wanda is the villain of this story, man. Uh, And and watching him go through that process, yeah, that's heart-wrenching.
2: And he did a great job with it. And, I mean, that actually is one of the other things I'd like to applaud for the show, not specifically on the plot, but acting. I mean, you already knew you were getting cinematic universe, MCU quality acting with these two actors, but it went beyond them everybody in the show did an exceptional job. I felt oh, really. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I just really enjoyed it. But yeah, watching him go through that and seeing it in his face and seeing it dawn on him that the woman that he loves is harming these people. Yeah. It was heartbreaking. It really was. Um, I enjoyed the show a lot, but it is, it's, it's, it's a sad tale of her trying to get over her grief. It,
1: it was, it is definitely a sad tale. And I've been a fan of Paul Bettany for so good. So 25, good. 30 years. I mean, master and commander, a Knight's Tale, mm. uh, all of his stuff as Vision, uh, all of his stuff as Jarvis for the earlier Iron Man films, so many other films he's been in. Uh, I will always view him as Chaucer, however. That's where I, <laughs> yeah, as Chaucer in A Knight's Tale, you don't get better than that. And I feel Paul Bettany Bludgeon. has one of the best
0: and most expressive faces on film to Considering the amount of makeup that he wears as Vision, absolutely, like, it's incredible. Yeah, that you can still see it. The incredible amount of emotion that he can go ahead and put into his face. Oh.
1: And, and combined with just that soft, deep, that soft, yet deep yet resonating tone you know not only kudos to the makeup folks for great makeup that allowed an actor to be that expressive but let's throw some awards to the way of the sound crew on this show because to get his voice to resonate like that is the actor and the production team working in concert. Look, we've had our own foibles just on this podcast trying to get a sound that was three-quarters decent. And <laughs> I can't even promise you that this is that time. But I, what I can tell you is that's not an easy feat. And I probably didn't recognize that
2: nearly enough. Until you started messing around with sound? Got it, yeah. Totally,
1: yeah. Now that I know that, and, and this is coming from a person who sang in front of crowds and been on various systems and speakers, has has had various amounts of his own equipment through the years. But I'm telling you, you don't get that feeling from a man's voice easily. So good. And when you talk about some of the realizations, how about the realization when he not only figured out that his wife was the villain and that she was effectively doing things in such a way that had to be stopped but he then in that same moment had to realize that means he's got to go and then not even a quarter second later that's his children he didn't say words that was not a realiza- a set of realizations that was done with words that was all done with his face, that's where that was, and you don't get better than that.
2: There's a lot of cinematography involved in that too. Just as we're giving credit where credit is due, um, when you're changing emotion, just changing the angle of the camera on someone's expression can totally change it. And the way that they frame those out, um, they'll they'll find the ultimate angle for whatever expression they're going for. I mean, they do they do amazing things when they're trying to help convey. I mean, they're masters of their craft. I mean, they did not
1: hire or they did not throw people on from the bench. They no. went out and spent free market money for top flight folks in every aspect. I bet you there's a PA who's the best coffee getter in the damn universe <laughs> that was working this show because yeah. everybody looked refreshed,
0: you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the last three episodes. I think that there's there's a lot to talk about in those last three episodes. And so, you know, the last, the kind of the end game of the, se- of the season begins with the uh the episode breaking the fourth wall the malcolm in the middle episode where wanda is absolutely exhausted and exasperated because she can no longer contain it all anymore she she's realizing that she is tapped out um and then the the first big reveal happens when we realize that that agnes is actually Agatha Harkness and that she's the one that has been messing with Wanda's vision of perfection and that it is that it is intentional to exhaust Wanda Um, And we we learn eventually by the end of the season why that is, because she wants Wanda's power. And she's trying to stretch her so thin and absolutely exhaust her so that she's an easier target. What do we think about how the season ended? And we're not just talking necessarily about the last episode. I think we're going to talk a lot about the last episode. How do we think? Do we think that this was a satisfying ending?
2: So I can say from the, we've talked a couple of times about comic book, non-comic book perspective, Um, that going into this not knowing anything about WandaVision, I struggled a little bit with Agnes and Agatha. But it's because I did not know that Agatha Harkness was a character in WandaVision. So for me, I'd been trying to figure out what nefarious thing was influencing it because they'd put in enough plot points to know that Wanda was not the only one influencing events, that somebody was effing with her, right? And I'm picturing, you know, some post-Hydra scientist or somebody and they've got her in some lab and they're making her do some experiment and they're pushing her or something all kinds of things but when suddenly it's Agatha all along um, that threw me for a hot second once I learned Agatha's story I loved it but for uh, for the first that first just reveal and then the big Agatha all along haha nana episode that was just a little bit like what the fuck
1: as the comic book guy let me pile on to that Agatha Harkness is actually a NPC for the Fantastic Four, or was. She was Franklin Richards' na- nanny for the, for many years. It, you later find out that she's a witch. You later find out that she has all kinds of things going on. You later find out that there's some things uh, where she's messing around with Mephisto, who, by the way, is a huge Doctor Strange enemy. So for those of us as comic book fans... And we know that this show is rolling into Dr. Strange 2. My honest belief was, and I knew that this character was Agatha Harkness the entire time. That was not a surprise. That was kind of just, we knew that. Our thought was, when were we going to get our Mephisto reveal? That's all we kept hearing was that
0: Mephisto was coming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was a brilliant way to turn on a dime. It is the single moment in this show where it set where it made me go, I no longer know what's gonna happen. Like at that moment, I did not know what the end, was. like up until that moment, I knew exactly what the end was gonna be. And at that moment, I did not know what the end was gonna be. That's when the show went from really cool, really awesome, great eye candy. By the way, second act, the uh comic book accurate costumes for the Halloween thing for vision and Wanda was amazing. Loved it, perfect,
2: awesome. It was but, very entertaining.
1: But that's where I went for act three like i don't know what the hell is going to happen and that is brilliant and exceptionally difficult to do when you're trying to be relatively comic book accurate yeah you just right. you don't get to do that and so i thought no, that surprised me that was the best part of the one of the best reveals
0: in the show yep. there and is then- another reveal but i'll let you go josh you talk you talk yeah so so i was wondering um uh, you'd said that when you started watching the show that you knew exactly where it was going to end. And then they had this big reveal. Were you right when you started watching the show and you're like, Oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. Were you right? Did you actually predict the ending? Yes,
1: but that's yes with an asterisk and a big one at that. I accurately predicted the technical ending as far as the big overreaching plot things that ended the show. I absolutely predicted that's exactly what would happen because I, I knew we were gonna go there. What I did not expect was the Agatha Harkness twist, which made me second guess myself and throw everything I thought that was gonna happen out. Yep. So okay. that was brilliant because it made me rethink what I had to do and I didn't know until it actually happened. It turns out I was right after all, but I no longer knew it, which yep. allowed me to enjoy it as though I had never known. Yep. And that yeah. is the needle they threaded so perfectly. Yep.
2: That is powerful,
1: yeah and i think when we reach out into our community and solicit conversation and talk with fans and we get people to let us know hey were you a deep cut fan before this were you a deep cut fan who knows these c-list characters because yeah. they were wanda and as important as she is to the marvel universe wanda and vision were c-list characters the avengers largely in the 80s and 90s where most of these stories are coming from uh were marvel's b-list characters and c-list characters in one book so you'd actually buy it most of the avengers with the exception of iron man thor and cap did not have their own comic books and that was by design that's why they were in the avengers they were in the avengers to see if they get popular enough to get their own comic and most of them only got as far as a single mini series or two or a large story arc that crossed over into other books and to be fair that's where the team book concept came from the team book concept came from the fact that back in the 60s it was difficult to sell a lot of books. and so uh, and so what they were doing is we can't people didn't have the money or we're not spending the money to try new books so they're like if i can give you one book for a nickel that has everybody in it if you like that guy enough you'll buy his book also so you're spending 10 cents for the book that has the team stuff and the other book that you're willing to buy. That was the concept of the Justice League and the Avengers. And, and, the only, and then Fantastic Four changed that on a dime. The X-Men changed that on a dime. Teen Titans changed that on a dime and so many other comic book teams. Team books became big, but
0: they started as just a way to get people to buy the solo books. Let's start talking about the, the last episode then. Because I did. Episode 8 is important because it, it kind of fills in it fills in all the cracks in the foundation that had developed over the first seven episodes where we really get kind of the full scope of what's going on. But I'm not sure that there's an... off. I'm sure that there are pieces of Episode 8 that we can talk about. But Episode 9, I think, has got a lot more to talk about because it's the season finale. The question that I want to toss out there is that when... Josh, let me interrupt because
1: I want to hear your question, but I do want to talk about Episode 8. Okay. Because when you asked me about that flip with Agatha uh, taking me off my game. The one thing that I really loved about episode eight was when we got to see the Vision on that table in pieces and parts. That is a direct rip from a cover written, uh, drawn by John Byrne in oh, Avengers nice. West Coast. And then him coming out at, in all white. That's a three cover set that ended this story. And it was one where you see Wanda wondering where the Vision went to because she can't find him anymore. Two, she sees him and, and he's in. He's doesn't have his exo skin or whatever. And he's just the pieces and parts. And, and then the final one is him as the all white vision. And vision. And they did the, they did a new take on the original title where he was introduced, behold the vision. And they did that for a second time. And that was him in the all white. So for me, episode eight, was perfect because that brought me back to my comic book roots they literally did an entire episode on the end story arc and that's when because of Agatha, i still didn't know where we were going to go i knew on some level they were still going to pay some homage to the comics was that episode so as a comic
0: book guy Episode 8 was very deep for me, and I really enjoyed
2: it a lot. I didn't have that frame of reference no, either.
0: No, that, that's, that's really interesting. The question that I've got about is, there was some discussion, and I don't remember if it was on our board or just on Facebook in general, but some discussion about how comic book fans wished that there was a little bit more nuance in the way the season ended. There's been a lot of kind of flack thrown at, the, at, the, at, C, at, at episode 9. As somebody who is not a comic book guy, I thought... Episode 9 was really, really, really important and well done because it tied together all of these threads that had been running for eight episodes a lot of which we did not know where they came from and where they were going and what they were going to do but it really it very caught very carefully one by one took all those threads tied them into where they belong knotted them and bowed them nice and pretty and said there you go here's a completed season and i think that that for me that felt really important but i know that there was a lot of pushback on how on how episode 9 was done i didn't hear and to be fair i have not listened to a lot of
1: commentary on the show i watched this episode late last night and i knew we were recording today so i purposely avoided a lot of review on this till after we spoke i tend to watch reviews of things after we record so that I'm giving my honest and unfiltered opinion. Other than the conversations the three of us have, I really don't listen to much else before a review. That and I had a great tabletop game that I ran today, uh, which (laughs) took me until roughly 15 minutes before uh, we started recording or or sat down to record. So uh, I was busy. That said, I just didn't hear what was being said about the episode negatively. I saw a lot of friends on our board, uh, a couple other boards I'm a member of, uh, and one other one that I run that uh, were talking about, hey, hey, don't spoil it, and lots of non-spoiler reviews that were really positive. Those, A lot of those were friends and fellow comic book people. So I expected that from comic book people.
0: So I'm interested to hear what were some of the negatives that people were saying. I think the feedback is that people expected to see Mephisto and when they didn't see him, they're like, well, this is wrong. If I'm reading the tea leaves correctly. Uh, and, and maybe I'm not. Uh, but that that's kind of my take on this, is that they ex- they expected the season to go to a specific place. And when it didn't go there, they thought it, they didn't think that it was complete or they thought that the way that they handled it was heavy handed. So th- that that I think is where the where the feedback is coming from.
2: I think a little bit of it also was there wasn't any nuance for ongoing plot. There wasn't any teaser of what's to come. There wasn't any really any real what's next for Wanda. Uh, Like you often have at the end of a show to give you that, to close that with that note of hope or in what's to come or that note of threat. And then you knowing that they're going to have to rise to fight it. Uh, And I think that was deliberate. I think that the reason that they tied all of those plot lines in into a nice, tight little bow and they ended every single element that they presented within the series is because this isn't going to be an ongoing series. I think it is 100 percent intended to be a mini series of character transition for the character of Wanda in the Avengers overall MCU. I think now that the two are back in the same house, like Lee was saying earlier, this miniseries, and I'm betting it'll be the same, we'll find out as we're watching the next ones that they're releasing, will effectively be helping you manage the character changes between the films, especially since Endgame obviously threw the whole world on its head and it's going to be a new game when they come back. Um, so I think that that's what this was all about. I think it was the origin story. It was f- finishing the origin story of the Scarlet Witch, because she's not just Wanda Maximoff anymore. Now she knows who she is. Oh,
1: well, I think you're absolutely correct. I think that's what it was by design. Yeah. I think we are not meant to know which of these series are going to be ongoing and which of these are going to be one and dones. Yeah. I think that is brilliant by design, because by definition, our expectations are off kilter. You don't know what to expect. And that makes us more engrossed and engaged. And I think that's a brilliant, brilliant device. I also think I did hear a little bit about some folks felt the episode was a bit rushed. And I didn't I think, agree. It was a lot in episode nine. There was a lot.
2: It could have been two. They should have done a two part conclusion. They should have split that fight up.
1: Right. I don't know if there was quite enough to do two if you're going to do them both at the same time count. And I didn't feel it was rushed because, again, a little bit of meta having watched the Disney Investor Day thing, which we also did a, a, a review of, the Disney executives were very clear that Wanda will go immediately from the close of this into the very next uh, thing that she's in, which is Mouth of Madness. The the downtime between these the two episodes, at least by design, is not supposed to be significant. Doctor Strange is supposed to pick up almost immediately after the conclusion of this series. Yep. And because of that, you don't need to create a all while you tie up all your plot lines. You don't need to have the what comes next because the what
2: comes next is a few weeks away. I get what you're saying. But what I mean by expand to the point where there's two episodes is and and rushed. A great example is Darcy. She made it into the hex. That seemed important for a hot second. Then she disappeared off the face of the earth until she suddenly crashes into the bad guy in a hot dog truck that that tied up her character. And it could have been just a little bit more. They could have made it two episodes and taken these plots and shown that Darcy was trying to get involved because she sees the big fight or something instead of, I mean, she was one of the ties to the MCU, but she comes back and her thing is she crashes a hot dog truck and says, have fun in prison. And that's like her cameo in the end of her plot. That's what was rushed. The main fight I think was great. It was the little side plots that needed a little bit more uh, of a pretty bow. They had a bow. They should have had a prettier one. I want some floof.
1: Yeah, I I, I have a sense that the extra stuff that we bo- that all of us wanted but from Darcy ended up on a cutting room floor. I probably. almost guarantee it was there.
2: I bet there wasn't quite enough to make two or they just straight up weren't gonna.
1: My guess is, or my thought is, they probably could have done a longer version of this episode. You're on a streaming channel. It doesn't have to be a single hour. You could go an hour and 20.
2: That's true. They could, yeah.
1: You know, Give us that little bit extra so that other main character, we got a good closure from Monica Rambeau. We got a great closure for Jimmy Woo. Yep. We got great closure from the director of S.W.O.R.D. and him going to jail. Yep. Almost every character had a great moment. Even Pietro had, we got a moment where he was released.
0: Do we actually believe that though? That's That's one thing that I wrote down there is, do we actually believe that Pietro was just a construct under Agatha's control. I
1: truly believe that that was meta for the purpose of meta. I don't think yep. the MCU is going to use any of the actors from the Marvel, from the X-Men movies in their roles. And they're probably going to try to avoid using them at all.
2: I, I agree hundred percent. I think it was a brilliant negotiation of contracting to be able to use that actor and put him in that role to make the tie. Because so fans are going to be so excited about it. But I think a hundred percent it was a meta reason for doing that, and he's not being introduced. See, he was just trolling us. Yeah,
1: pretty much. Well, okay. here's the deal: Disney owns all those films now. So right. they could if they wanted to, and they don't have to worry about contract. Right. They they own it. So they're fine to do it. I just think for two reasons. One, and this is my honest to God feeling, almost to a single moment, with the exception of several individual scenes. In the Wolverine and Logan as a whole, the entire X-Men series was hot freaking garbage, start to finish. Mm. Hate it, hate every moment of it and every depiction a, of this every is clearly character.
2: another episode. We gotta back away from this slowly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and this has been hot takes with Lou Anika. Let's let's put a bow on on our episode, then talking about this. I think that in general, this season of WandaVision It is a fantastic movie one for the next chapter of the MCU. I loved the way that you can look at these nine episodes as a self-contained unit, and it is a satisfying story from start to finish. It it, it takes a little bit to get into it, but man, once it hits it, it it hits it hard, it hits it fast, and and it is very satisfying uh, in the ending. And it is definitely... Look, I was in for the MCU movies that are coming up anyway, but... Uh, boy, after seeing how they're beginning this next chapter of the Avengers MCU universe, uh, I'm I'm in. I'm absolutely in. I'm really excited to see. I'm really excited for the Doctor Strange movie, which if you listen to our MCU breakdown, I was a little lukewarm on the on the on the, the Doctor Strange movie coming up. I was not crazy about the Doctor Strange movie coming up. Knowing what I know now, huh? I, I'm I'm ready.
2: I'm in. I choose to approach Doctor Strange automatically with a sense of optimism because I'm going to be honest, I thought the first one was going to be crap and it surprised the hell out of me. I loved it. So I'm just going forward with that.
1: This is where I'm going to give you my reveal that I promised you earlier in this episode. Please. Yeah, do it. So the thing that a non-comic book person or a non-deep dive uh, C or D tier comic book person will have missed is the references to the Darkhold. Now, those of us who watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we got a version of the Darkhold in the later seasons of that show, or mid-seasons of that show. In the Marvel Universe, that book is exceptionally powerful. It is a major artifact. It is the driver of so many stories. It drove an entire comic book line between Darkhold, Rise of the Midnight Suns, Blade, uh, uh, and Ghost Rider, uh, and a couple other titles, Morbius, uh, and a few others. It drove like six or nine titles uh, and Darkhold was its own title.
2: Oh, okay. So that's a big thing. It is a big thing. Yeah. Nope. Huge. Okay.
1: And the final end credit scene showing Wanda reading the Darkhold in general, and it's varied in different depictions, but in general, bad things happen to those who read the Darkhold and to those around those who read the Darkhold. Interesting. We are not done with Wanda being a villain. Awesome.
2: Well, and Wanda's character was a great character anyway that went kind of back and forth, wasn't she?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. She is, in the Marvel Universe, one of the most powerful non-deific, non-celestial beings in the Marvel Universe. This character is already supposed to be that badass, and they're showing her with the Darkhold? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I did not understand or have any idea how they were going to connect Wanda to dr strange except for thinking it might have something to do with mephisto now that she has a dark hold my guess is she is going to be being manipulated by a villain of or by the dark hold itself and she's actually going to be the villain that dr strange has to reveal that's my prediction about the dr do, right. strange too
2: and they also kind of set that up with the line from agatha Uh, When she's talking to her about who the Scarlet Witch is, and she says she's talking about her power, and she says more powerful, Supreme, yeah, exactly, which sets up an adversarial kind of comparison immediately. So it's definitely hinted at
1: because better to Cumberbatch is Cumberbatch and done, right? He's in something, you watch it. That's how I am. That's the kind of genre guy I am. But I might not be watching this movie for him anymore because one, um. Ms. Olson was insanely good in this yes. film. Like,
2: right. Oh, my God. The number of roles she covered as she went through the periods of time. Fabulous, yeah. She was
0: fantastic. A fantastic co-star with Paul Bettany. Like, I mean, th- those two stole every scene. Mm-hmm.
2: They were amazing.
0: Like, it was hard at any
1: given point in time to say, oh, this show is because this person's a great actor because there are so many good actors in this film, or in this show. I say film because that's what it was like watching.
2: Right. It really kind of was, yeah.
1: But, um... Wow. Wow. She was good. Yep. Wow. I like need her on film more.
2: Very interested to see what she does when she gets out of the Wanda role. I'm hoping this doesn't typecast her. Because um, I really want to see some of the other things she can do after what I saw in WandaVision. Like
1: uh, what I saw here, I'm talking she could do rom-coms. She can do horror. She can do action. She can do anything she wants to do. And, you know, even before the pandemic, I didn't go to the movies often to drop all that kind of money. But I tell you what, I can guarantee you, she just punched a ticket. She's got my 15 to 20 bucks every time she's on film as soon as I can get back into the theater. I'm a
2: rom-com softie, so I go to them anyway. Yeah. (laughs) But I'll be honest, I'll wait for video so as not to pay full screen screen price for a rom-com unless it looks really good. Yeah, same,
1: same, same here. I love them, but for uh, DVD or or cable or or streaming, but uh, I'm telling you, she punched a ticket today. She punched a ticket yeah, today.
2: She's she's fantastic. And I, I mean, there was never a moment with all the varied roles that she played. There was never a moment where I didn't believe her, where she didn't sell it.
1: one. It's not often that we watch a show in genre and a bunch of people in fandom say, oh, wow, so-and-so needs an award. I'll be honest with you. Most people in the genre films that we tend to watch and review, they don't often deserve best actor awards. Right. There's mm-hmm. technical awards. There's supporting actor mm-hmm. awards that are quite worthy. But- there aren't a lot of Best Actor awards in our genres. Right, there just aren't. This is very different. This is the one
0: time I say, yeah, not only one or two awards, but all of them. Give her all the awards. Well, when uh, when the uh, when the movie awards come, when the Oscars come out uh, in the few months, mu- in uh, whenever they're going to come out, I'm not even sure. Um, you know, we'll see if uh, see if any of Lou Anika's uh, predictions come true.
2: I want to throw one thing out that you can cut back in if you'll like it, if you'll have any cross commentary. Okay. um, What's Rambo's first name? Thank you. I always remember her just as Rambo, but um, the one thing that I thought was a little bit too rushed the whole show long though. I really liked her. I really want to see where they go with it. I loved the casting of the actress for Monica Rambo, but I did think that some of the stuff going on with her was just, She was just a little bit too rushed, a little bit too stoic, a little bit too accepting. Now, mind you, this is a girl who found out aliens were real when she was, you know, like, eight. And Captain Marvel's, like, her best aunt. But still, I mean... She gained powers. Bullets passed through her and she was like totally unfazed. She was in it denial
0: was... of it. She's in denial of it, I think, too. And I think, honestly, I, I hear what you're saying. I think this, the entire reason why she was in this show was to introduce her to the MCU. Just kind of, right. They, you know, they, they, need, they needed a character to do the things that she did and they knew that they wanted Monica Rambeau in the later projects. And so they said, you know what? Let's hire one actress to do this instead of two.
2: And I get it. But what that left me going is if this is her origin story, if this is her intro, I wanted more. I didn't want to just see her be a badass military woman who takes everything in stride down to being shot by bullets and being like, "Hey, I'm okay." I, I bet, I bet
0: you, you know? we'll see her featured in the next in the next Captain Marvel movies. Honestly, actually, I'll even one
1: up that. This is going to be this is the start. Her start, her introduction was in Captain Marvel one. Mm-hmm. This is the continuation of her origin. This is how she got her powers fine tuned.
2: Like, I liked her enough that I went back and watched Captain Marvel again. So I wanted more.
1: <laughs> the next phase is going to be Secret Invasion. Because I believe Secret Invasion comes up before Captain Marvel 2. Okay. Secret Invasion is sword fighting an evil group of Skr- Skrulls and, and, uh, yeah. in, in, in a big battle. Who we also saw in the mid credit scene. Right. So... Yeah. And they set that up. So they set up se- Secret Invasion. So we're going to see her again there is my bet. Yeah. And then yeah. when she finishes that, she's going to be teaming up with uh, Captain Marvel in Captain Marvel 2. Yeah. And then we'll have the two of them together taking on whatever threat they have. And honestly, I like Monica Rambeau's character better than Danvers because Danvers' character is way too powerful to be on film. It's a struggle to get a good Superman story because of how powerful he is. Right. Captain Marvel is actually more powerful than that. Right. And, and so I, I, I struggle with Captain Marvel from a narrative sense. Like where's yeah. the real threat. All she has to do is figure out that I'm ha- I've had enough of this and she ends everything. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, I don't like that in characters. That's really
2: tough. Yeah, you make a character too powerful at, at this point with as powerful as they've made her without limiting her again, in some way, how can you show the character arc that she had in her movie, her origin movie? Nothing can knock her down like that because she's more powerful than everything. They'll come up with something, mind you, but...
1: Yeah, and exactly. It's like when we spoke about it in, with with Superman. How yeah. do you make him relatable? Well, you do the personal story. And mm-hmm. unless they intend to do something like that with Carol Danvers, and I don't, I know enough about the character, but not enough about the character on paper to know right. if there's a story there. I think there's a reason why I have never been a fan of that character on paper nor on
0: film. And it has to
1: do with... That's a needle they haven't threaded well. All
0: right. All right, gentlemen, I say we leave it there. Uh, Fabulous to talk to you guys again. And uh, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
2: And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash Journeys. If you're listening to
1: us on Stitcher, itunes Podchaser, spotify audible or any other podcast platform we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast full episodes come out every week on saturdays and every wednesdays we'll feature our side quest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented
0: thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community and in the words of another traveler on our path we bid you shade and
1: sweet water